0: Welcome to this Income Majors podcast, where we will be discussing whether some of the London market's most popular dividend payers can keep the payouts coming. Will lower oil prices force Royal Dutch Shell to make a historic cut? What does AstraZeneca's latest drug trial flop mean for its payout? And does GSK's shift in strategy and dividend policy make shareholder income more secure? Joining me to answer these questions are Alex Newman, our podcast editor and commodities specialist, and Megan Boxall, who covers the pharmaceutical majors. And this uh, podcast follows on from our July cover feature, where we considered the dividend security of the top 10 stocks listed in London by size, with a dividend yield above 4%. So we'll be looking at how the half-year results for uh, three of those stocks impact on the arguments that we were making in that cover feature. Alex, let's start with Shell. Since the oil price started to slide in 2014, the million-dollar question, or perhaps the billion-dollar question, has been whether it can
1: maintain its historic dividend. Set this in context for us. The so the context of uh, Shell's historic dividend is that well one it's not cut it since uh, about 1945 that's according to the company it's the largest payer in in the 100, if you take together the A and B uh, share classes we when we talk about Shell we're normally talking about the the B share classes and the third reason is uh, you know for many people who in the 80s ended up with British Gas shares that morphed in various company uh, uh, mergers and acquisitions to BG and they you know the BG deal which. Uh, Shell recently completed means you may be owning a part of Shell if you held British gas shares nearly 30 years ago.
0: Which is all to say that it's a really critical question for our readers, a lot of whom hold Shell, as to whether it can maintain this dividend. And actually, the yield following the fall in the share price, following the fall in the oil price, has suggested that the market thinks that maybe it may not be able to be maintained over the medium term.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, a 7% yield, I think it's uh, quite clear that that signals there are big doubts about about its ability to continue paying. In the piece we we wrote for the Income Majors, we flagged, I think, three sources of concern that this remains a long term income stock. I mean, the first is, as you you correctly point out, Ian, is the unprecedented place that the all market is in. So, we're now talking about even lower for, for longer. It seems now that we're going to be stuck. Probably for the for you know the foreseeable future at very very low oil prices. Secondly, this year has really crystallised the uh, vision for the future of electric vehicles. That's going to have huge impacts on on oil and fuel markets. And. Combined with the legislative changes and energy efficiency in the in the decades to come, there are certainly questions over the oil majors and the oil industry as a viable investment. And obviously, that translates to dividends. Thirdly, when we're sort of looking at um, Shell specifically, the tightening capex we've seen and uh, big divestment since the oil price came down uh, means that $50 a barrel, it can actually make money. But looking you know, over to the next few years, it is going to be potentially slightly free cash negative if all prices stay where they are which is a huge amount to unpack and give us some context on the leverage um both
0: the kind of net debt on on the balance sheet but also the pension obligations that shell has
1: yeah well the leverage is coming down so uh shell has been very very focused in the last two years on maintaining the dividend but also bringing down at the same time gearing their goal is to get to about 20 percent gearing I mean, we calculate it slightly different to them, but that's that's about the, the level where they, they think they can then start to really focus on CapEx and share buybacks, which is a long-term vision for them. Um, and, if, you know, if we even look at the pension deficit, that's $10 billion. We've got huge, uh, huge uh, decommissioning costs in the future. So if the equity does thin, if CapEx is going to stall for, you know, the foreseeable future, that, that those are other big questions over free cash flows and the long-term future of, uh, of Shell.
0: Now, you mentioned electric cars. Shell's CEO triggered a few news stories by saying that his next car will, he buys will be electric, which is a funny thing for an oil major CEO to say. Um, but that's um, reflecting a narrative at the moment around the end of oil. Um, do you think that investors could get too excited about that uh, relative to
1: Shell's prospects? I I see that as a bit of a PR stunt, to be honest. Shell, at the same time, will also say, and Ben van Buurden did say in the same interview, we we certainly see this revolution coming. At the same time, we don't see that sharp a drop in liquid fuels. They have positioned themselves quite well, we think, in terms of pivoting away towards gas and, and alternative fuels. So... It, and that, that's really meaningful in terms of the cash flow, isn't it? The, the, yeah, over yeah. the medium term, it is. And and you know, as as we point out in our analysis of these half year results, they've got this uh, downstream operation which is less sensitive to to oil prices. The uses of uh, oil aren't just confined to transport markets. They make lots and lots of money from trading, from uh, marketing, and from refining. So, that Shell's business model isn't totally dependent on. Just selling the oil. Obviously, they are highly, highly geared to the oil uh, oil price in its long term future. Is but- is, the, is a bigger question at the moment, and I think you get into this a little bit in your half year results analysis
0: that the disposals and the retrenchments we've seen from the company, um, in order to protect the cash flows and, and thus the dividend. Actually, over the medium term means that production will be lower, so although you know is that how much is that just short term uh, getting the cash flowing, how concerned should investors be over the medium term in terms of uh, the the lower production that they 'll now see as a result of those disposals
1: yeah I, th- I think they should be concerned because by two thousand and nineteen once uh, shell gets rid of its script dividend, which uh, investors will be aware of this that if you own shell, they ask you to take some of the dividend payments or you can elect to take some of the dividend payments in sh- in shares that they pay back. Shell wants to get rid of the script policy they want to be paying all of the dividend cash when they get to that debt level that we that we mentioned but yeah, I mean absolutely they're going to need fifteen point seven billion dollars HSBC calculates from 2019 to to just pay that so i mean there there are there are certainly questions hanging over that for the short term, and their result seasons continually show at the moment. They're very good at managing these set piece statements. It, you know, they're very good at shoring up confidence that the dividend is going to be okay. I think there are definitely questions. You know, one and a half, two years down the line. Thanks a lot, Alex. Okay, we've also had half-year results from
0: AstraZeneca and GSK. um, Divergent fortunes there. And Megan, perhaps we could just start setting in context the dividends of GSK and AstraZeneca, historically how they've been backed. But for these companies, their earnings profile of late has been a bit more volatile. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So... um Historically, like you say, GSK and AstraZeneca have had quite similar dividend profiles, they've both been big payers and as pharmaceutical companies with massive cash flows, paying that dividend hasn't been that worrying. Until more recently, where both of these companies, along with many, many in the wider global pharmaceutical sector, have had to contend with a big drop off in the amount of new drugs coming to market.
0: So the big picture is the patents expire on the blockbuster older drugs that are supplying a lot of the cash flow. Yeah. and they have a lack of new drugs coming down, so everyone's been very focused on the pipeline.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, in in some cases, in AstraZeneca's case, they've been very focused on the pipeline. GSK, look at those first. Their strategy, their way of dealing with that fall off in the um, in the number of new drugs coming through the pipeline under their old chief executive Andrew Andrew Witty was to bulk up their consumer healthcare section and try and level out the earnings. And
0: some shareholders didn't like that?
2: Well, no, a lot of quite high-profile shareholders. Neil Woodford in particular was very vocal against that strategy. Um, Why do you think that is? Why why do people not like that? I can completely see why they were not very excited by that because pharmaceutical companies are exciting companies they're high risk high growth companies and it's that which lets them have these massive cash flows
0: yeah stick to your knitting you know <laughs> take some risk and develop drugs that will um, have huge upside and yeah. we're willing to take the yeah, risk
2: exactly And rather
0: h- than making toothpaste
2: <laughs> yes and toothpaste is the thing that gsk goes on about how they've got this million i use billion, that
0: toothpaste it's fine
2: it doesn't taste very nice but <laughs> that's beside G- the point <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um so yeah gsk had put a lot of money into its consumer healthcare division but we've seen in the last few years the cash flows have tailed off because of the lower cash coming through consumer health and there's just been no real new drugs coming to market for gsk they've relied so long on their big respiratory drugs their highest profile one being called, one called advert which um, lost its patent protection this year and because of that the pharmaceutical division of the company has just been it's been poor
0: and people have been asking for a while whether they can hold on to that they can maintain their dividend it's been very much a live question relative to the amount of kind of leverage as well yeah exactly
2: so leverage um, because well that's another thing GSK used to have to dip into its debt occasionally to keep the dividend ticking upwards in years that drugs came off patent but that was fine because a few years later there'd be a new drug on the market it's been a, a, a long time now where there's been no new drug on the market no new big selling drug on the market so dipping into the debt is becoming more and more of a risky strategy so
0: again it's a case of financial engineering to support the dividend which is is crucial to the the share price and the investor backing yeah. for the stock exactly so what did we learn at the half year stage a bit of a shift on, on a couple of fronts
2: yeah I mean it is actually a new dividend policy that they um, put out so a new CEO um, who a lot of people are very worried about because she's come from a consumer he- healthcare background well not even really healthcare she's come from L'Oreal and a lot of people were worried that she was going to really focus on turning GSK into a consumer healthcare giant like Johnson & Johnson is in the US. But she's had the complete opposite strategy. See, what she seems to have done is completely ripped up what Andrew Whitty had been trying to do over the last few years. And she's really trying to focus on the pharmaceutical side of the business. So they're investing more money in R&D. They're investing a huge amount of money in their medicine manufacturing sites. They're selling some of their big consumer healthcare brands, such as Horlicks.
0: That's interesting because she ran the consumer healthcare division for GSK before taking that job. So you, Mm -hmm. you might have assumed that actually that would entrench that focus on that division. But what seems to have happened is perhaps she's listened to shareholders or they've had a strategic rethink and they've now said quite explicitly our top priority is to improve in pharmaceuticals what do you think that means for the earnings profile they are going to have to invest a fair amount more Um, do they have the firepower to invest in new drugs
2: well at the moment that's what looks a bit risky because over the last few years because they haven't been doing that they haven't really got the firepower at the moment and the pipeline is still pretty bad comparing it to other large pharmaceutical companies and what they've done with the dividend policy is rather than um, having it progress in line with earnings which is what it's always been historically and what Andrew Whitty was trying to do with his bulking up the consumer healthcare division they've decided to progress it in line with cash flows so they are going to increase the dividend once net cash inflows get to 1.25 to 1.5 times the annual dividend payout I mean at the moment they are so far from that it's just quite i don't know how they how they're going to get there anytime soon and yet
0: we did have some analysts saying that these results will settle concerns over yeah, the dividend yeah because
2: they so they've the dividend was um, confirmed until the end of the current financial year Um, these half year results they've confirmed it until the end of the next financial year as well so that's definitely reassuring and I mean that's definitely settled some nerves for the time being because under a new CEO this is her first set of interim results this would have been a good time to have cut the dividend and sort of hidden it in a whole overhaul of the strategy so it's good news that they haven't done that but yeah so they made 365 million pounds of cash in the half year but they paid 1.9 billion pounds worth of dividends Mm -hmm. how they're going to get that to level out is it it seems it seems like a big ask
0: I want to move on to AstraZeneca it's been really topical this week so they had a big share price drop on their half year results because they announced alongside them that their major lung cancer drug trial part of the mystic trial ha- had failed and a lot of hopes in their pipeline have been resting on that treatment
2: mm-hmm. yeah so AstraZeneca sort of taken the opposite strategy which is make our pipeline as good as possible. And it is it's very impressive. It's one of the best, especially in cancer care in the world. The company, in their defence, hadn't really pinned that much hope on Mystic. They had always said that they have a big pipeline. But investors seem to be pretty obsessed with this tri- with this one trial. So, I mean, the share price for 16% is, is not really that surprising considering how much investors were hoping for positive outcome.
0: But so where they uh, differ from GSK, to your earlier point, is that... There was a lot more hope over the pipeline. They have invested mm-hmm. in um, kind of bringing a huge drugs to trial. Of money, yeah, yeah. And, and you're saying there are other drugs at kind of phase three stage, the final stage mm-hmm. of clinical trials uh, that could provide some real earnings uh, and, and crucially cash flow. And yet, yeah, there was a lot of hope being pinned on Mystic. Yeah,
2: uh, another reason for the hope being pinned on Mystic. It was the first big one to come to come through. The fact that this one now doesn't look like we're going to get. As much money as hoped from it within the next few years means that it's yet another few years of lower earnings, lower cash flows. I mean, their cash flow is looking looking really, really bad. They they made their profits. Their reported profits were actually up, but they're they're down to one-offs from the disposal of intangible assets. They're they're making a lot more money from um, much less cash profitable um, externalization revenue, which is where they sell their unwanted drugs to other pharmaceutical companies. They're both revenue and profit profile is much less stable at AstraZeneca now. and it has
0: been for a while you make that point in your income majors yeah. piece that you know coverage has been really potted since mm-hmm. 2012 has, yeah. so to kind of yeah to the earlier point about yeah. um, those reliable drugs coming off so okay if even if mystic perhaps wasn't uh, as crucial as the market may suggest it desperately needs something oh yeah, really to come really good.
2: It really does. And the thing which I think is the biggest concern for AstraZeneca's dividend, and I'm not saying this is a concern for the company at all, I don't necessarily think it's a bad strategy, but for income investors it's definitely something to look at, is the fact that AstraZeneca is prioritising getting a new drug to market. For them, they, it's all about the science. It's all about being the, one of the biggest players in the world. It's particularly in oncology, which means that if it comes to it, they're probably going to prioritise R&D costs over paying that dividend. Which
0: a lot of people say, that's what you should do as a pharmaceutical exactly. company. Yeah. And, and the criticism of both, well, ma- mainly of GSK has been, rather than investing and mm. taking, uh, taking the risk, uh, you've just tried to shore up the dividend policy whereas yeah. We, yeah we think you should invest.
2: Yeah, ex- exactly. Which is why it's not necessarily a bad thing that if AstraZeneca were to cut its dividend. Which it may have to because it is looking in quite quite a risky position. But there there is a lot to like in Astro, in it in its pipeline and the, and the things that are the good news flow which hopefully will start to pick up in the next few months their CEO that was another a big worry about AstraZeneca in the last few weeks that they were going to lose their CEO to an Israeli company but um, Pascal Sorio, who he was very he was very positive I'm, I'm no quitter I'm very committed to AstraZeneca and it, it does give it has given a bit of confidence I think
0: shareholders want him on board yeah. they trust the strategy but it's worth noting that the company is more committed to development than it is to yeah. dividend I suppose is our interpretation I just want to bring in a comment that one of our online readers made on the Income Majors uh, feature uh, online, Bellis59. For this person, I'm not sure if it's a man or a woman. Uh, diversification and, and managing cash flow, Bellis suggests, is important. Then you will not be a forced seller and can ride out the reduced dividends and market uh, volatility. So we've talked a lot in the in the Income Majors write-ups about uh, managing cash flow. That's really been a focus of it. Um but actually diversification is quite an interesting uh, t- point in this discussion Alex for shell diversifying into liquefied natural gas um, has been really positive and has allowed it to an extent to ride out the fall in the oil price is that fair
1: yeah that's fair and uh, I mean within within shell itself you know it's it's a diversified model within the oil world so it's uh, you know so it's a so called integrated oil company meaning it has upstream downstream uh, and and marketing uh, assets yeah so, so it's
0: not just oil and gas it's yeah. all of the other stuff that you know
1: it does too yeah absolutely and then that helps to to smooth its cash flow when you know there perhaps is in some years more pressure on the oil price, and in other years, there's more pressure on trading margins, for example.
0: Yeah, and Megan, I just want to put to you another point that a lot of uh, my kind of Twitter followers made to me when I was asking about what's the point of a dividend when we're, I was looking to write the introduction to this feature. Um, a couple of my followers made the point that it's really very much an indication of management and their ability to commit to a strategy. It's less that they really want to get that income back, it's more that it's a very worrying sign if they have to change the dividend policy. Do you think with reference to AstraZeneca, that's the case? I mean, mm-hmm. if they, you could understand them changing the dividend policy, cutting the dividend in, in order to prioritise drug development. But for some investors, they take that as a really bad sign of the management's ability to understand the performance of their own business.
2: Yeah, it's a really interesting point, I think, in AstraZeneca's case, because I would say that AstraZeneca's management has never made any kind of big statement about it's dividend or it doesn't even really ever talk about it. It's just, it just pays a dividend. Mm. But what it does say and what it does prioritise is the fact that it wants to be a big oncology specialist. It wants to be a really excellent pharmaceutical company. So I wouldn't say... Whereas GSK
0: have been much more explicit about defending the dividend under pressure from shareholders.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, And now you can kind of excuse them because there is new management. So of course, new management is allowed to have their own new strategy. So I wouldn't say that it's a big turnaround for them they they've mm. they're going through a period of change so I don't think actually either of those companies would fall under the bracket of oh management's had to scrape by um they're, they're both pretty sensible strategies they're just different strategies i mean if we were going to talk about one that we've talked about in the income majors piece which is has management is suddenly having to pull stuff together is, is bt i mean their, their dividend is under pressure
0: we're going to hold that for another time because I think we might come back and talk about uh, BT and Vodafone when we know more about uh, the drains in their free cash flow from Spectrum, from pensions um, and other actually some similar challenges to uh, what Shell's experiencing. That's all we've got time for on this special podcast. I'd ask any readers to uh, look up the piece online, Income Majors. There's uh, 10 pieces in there, including the three companies that we've discussed. I think we'll follow this up later in the year when there's major developments on the other big income payers.